Welcome to the next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, counselor at Beachwood High School, and I'm here with Joel Ford, counselor at Connor High School. Our producer, Mike Pergowski, enjoys lazy rivers, climbing walls, and texts when his laundry's done. We have some exciting things planned for this episode, including our deep dive into college amenities on campus, an interview with a, a sophomore slash junior looking ahead at the college selection process, and if you're lucky, some words of wisdom. We're calling this episode The Arms Race. We are excited to get to it, but I've got an update from our episode four. Uh, our good friend JT Tebby, I wanted to tell Joel this, uh, JT Tebby was the kid who we said was my favorite fit of all time in college admissions. His mom is retiring from Beachwood and uh, saw her in the hall today to congratulate her. After three years of college, JT has graduated. Man. She says he's a whole new guy, used to kind of hide out in the corner, even at family reunions or functions. And after one year at Murray State, he's shaking hands, talking to uncles, telling stories, yucking it up in the back. Uh, he's now a researcher in Cincinnati, back in his hometown. Obviously, he didn't need a six-year graduation rate to uh, be successful at Murray State. So. No, he didn't. And he didn't need to leave the States. Or, I'm sorry, well, he didn't need to leave the States, but he didn't need to leave Kentucky. He didn't need to try to find a school. It was ranked higher than Murray State to be successful. So to, to put a point on our last episode, congratulations, JT. I hope you're listening. Yep. Joel, you know I don't read the news or watch it. So what's going on in college admissions this week? Well, some of the stories that we've got um, have actually, I've, I've kind of compiled over the past couple of weeks as I've gotten emails and, and looked at some things. So I thought this week we'd play a little game. I love games. Let's play no, or actually, let's play cano or go. All right, all right. All right. So I'm going to read a headline, and you tell me whether you want to know more about it, or cano more about it. Okay. Or go on because there's really nothing new to discuss, or, or it just, just doesn't pique your interest. Don't like it. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Headline one: Leaving the coalition. Dartmouth and the University of Virginia are both leaving the coalition uh, for access, affordability, and success. I really don't care a whole lot about coalition. I almost want to say go, but I want to hear a little more. No. So basically, I, you know, this was supposed to be the next big thing, and now maybe it's not. So, so a bunch of people got mad at Common App, designed the coalition app. I know that people might be offended that, that I would think that, but but that's that's how it started. Um, yeah, let's, let's just go. And I'll just say those two, which I didn't know, were charter members. So it's not like they came in late. But I, I only have kids use Coalition when they have to. Right. There's a couple schools out there. I think, I've, think I've used it a handful of times with kids. Yeah. So, All right, let's try uh, number two. Uh, Elizabeth Warren's student debt proposal sparks debate. Go. There you go. All right. Many Americans concerned about the fairness of college admissions. No. So there was a story in the AP that reported a pair of surveys that were conducted uh, that revealed that many Americans think the nation's universities place too much emphasis 
um, on factors uh, such as wealth, family ties, and athletic ability. Huh, that sounds like a previous episode. Yes, it does sound exactly uh, like a previous <laughs> the episode. The surveys find that Americans were about evenly divided on the overall fairness of college admissions, but their views on individual selection criteria reveal a rift between the factors they see as important and the factors they think colleges value. It's, it's like in the last several episodes in this article, we're talking about both sides, what, what colleges see in students, and then with today's episode, what students are seeing in colleges. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of the focus is, is probably misguided. It, was, it made me just think, does anyone have their priorities correct right, right. in this? Either side. Right. Not sure they do. Nah. That's why we're here trying right. to help. How about uh, topic number four, report points to inequities in federal student loan collection lawsuits. Yeah, I'd like to know more about that. So MarketWatch reported that federal government officials rarely resort to suing borrowers over their student loans, but when they do, the consequences can be devastating, and a new report suggests they're not distributed equally. According to the National Consumer Law Center, neighborhoods where borrowers who are sued over their federal student loans um, have Hispanic populations have double the national average, African-American populations are triple the national average. Uh, the Department of Justice and the Department of Education They don't publish data on the demographics of borrowers who are sued, but an analysis of the zip codes in which these lawsuits were filed provides a window into who the government targets with this tactic, and that's a direct quote. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know what to say about that. I think that you need to be equitable with who you're suing. Right. I don't know. It sounds like a lot of energy uh, to spend money on on suing people when when people, we all know, they're straddled with debt. Right. So I don't know what what they gain from that. Yeah. All right. Here's the next one. And you better say no on this one. I'm going to be upset if you don't. Go. No pressure. Classic learning test is emerging as a competitor to SAT and ACT. Oh, I'd I'd say no anyway. Okay. Let's let's keep going. So, and I didn't know, I didn't really know anything about this test when I saw this headline. And I was sort of like, what the heck is this? Um, So... It was first offered in 2015. It's emerging as an alternative to the SAT and and ACT college entrance exams. Um, If you get on their website, uh, basically they're promoting it as um, less expensive, it's shorter, you take it online, and you get same-day scoring. That's great. Will will colleges use it? Well, that's to be determined, I guess. Um, They've got on here all kinds of score charts and how it compares to an ACT and SAT score, um, but again, I think it's like anything else. It's are the colleges going to buy into it or not? Right now, should we start uh, our own test prep company to get ahead of the curve, Joel? Yeah, maybe. Um, Just kidding, everyone. I, you know, <laughs> and I, I kind if this gets bigger, I kind of wonder like what will ACT and SAT's reaction be because. You know, they're like the, the big dogs in the... They'll do one that's kind of like it. Right. And then they'll advertise it the same way. Right. And they'll compete with this place just like they compete with each other. All right. Next headline. This one's probably just going to make you groan. Um, there was an analysis that most public high school students lack quality college counseling. That's just not news. <laughs> <laughs> we we know that the ratios are terrible. For anyone listening who doesn't understand that, the, the, the college, college counseling is tough in many places. Where, where you've got counseling ratios that are there are five, six, seven hundred, over a thousand uh, students per counselor. And, and, and counselors are only not only doing college counseling, but all the other counseling too. All right. So here's, that's not news. Yeah. Here's one last one. And again, this one better be a no and not a go. 
Um, Northwestern's president makes admissions decisions. Yes, sir. No. All right. So, um, and this was a fairly lengthy article, but basically um, there was a, a proposed legislation in California that would require any admission decisions at public universities that deviate from sp standard practices to be approved by three administrators, um, one of whom would have to be the campus president or chancellor. When the idea came up at the meeting, uh, one senior official, um, they got to talking and it turns out that there's already a university president that's directly involved in admissions decisions. Really? And it's at Northwestern. Um, he personally makes decisions on hundreds of applicants a year. Uh, the applications on which he makes decisions include some children of donors or alumni and also children of faculty and staff members at Northwestern. Well, that, ch that changes the story a little yeah, bit. A little bit. That doesn't sound like making admissions decisions. That's like that sounds like telling the admissions office these people are... Are getting in. I, that's, it smells that way to me. Right. Bit. Yeah. Um, you know, they, uh, Northwestern the, released a statement. They work to preserve the independence of its admission office and to ensure that fundraising units or personnel do not exert direct influence upon its decisions. As a courtesy, university officials give consideration to applications endorsed by people who have a strong connection to the Northwestern community. This can include alumni, trustees, donors, longtime staff members, civic leaders, etc. To me, as soon as I read this, this just goes back to that whole idea of if you've got privilege, you've got an advantage. And, and it's not right. And it goes, back to, it goes back to the whole Varsity Blues scandal again. Um, it's it's just the first reaction I had. That may not be the case. I but it just. I mean, I, I I just I have this like you can either laugh or cry attitude sometimes. So I don't mean to joke when something's serious, but I, that's what I do. Uh, this is every admissions office nightmare. Like that's not every admissions officer I know hates when uh, maybe maybe a, a head coach or or a university higher up gets involved in their admissions mm -hmm. decisions. So, yeah, that, that could be spun to sound really cool until you find out like, who, how he's involved. And maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe he's saying no to half the people and yes to half, but uh, I smells weird to it me. smells a little fishy. It does. So with that, that's uh, what piqued my interest the past couple of weeks as far as college admissions news. So let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back and explore college amenities and the College Arms Race. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Let's talk about the arms race and what that means for today's students. Joel and I are old enough to remember the latter part of the real arms race between the United States and the Soviet Union and the efforts made by each country to outdo the other country, whether by military spending, propaganda, or even competing on the athletic field. I know one of the biggest things watching the Olympics mm -hmm. every four years yep. was the medal count because you had to see who the best country was. Yes. Like, and if, if we weren't at the lead in the medal count, it's like like tragedy in the United States. Uh, yes. I mean, it was terrible. Um, I watch, I can watch Rocky Four every single time that it comes on, and I'm still cheering for Rocky to beat Ivan Drago in Rocky Four because he's a cheater. He juiced, by the way. Watch the movie. <laughs> I believe you, <laughs> but I, I'll probably watch I'm, that tonight. 
So while certainly not at the level of the potential of world war, the basic idea is the same with the college arms race, trying to be better, provide more amenities, and thus bring in more students to a particular college. But the question is, is it really worth it? Do students need what many might perceive as lavish accommodations that aren't really necessary for a college education? And we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, go for it, Joel. South Dakota State has their own personal dairy bar. I, I failed to write down how many gallons of ice cream they serve out. That's poor, in the course poor of research, years. Joel. Poor, poor research on my part. <laughs> University of Missouri, a lazy river and beach club, 100 cardio machines, and a tiger grotto with a whirlpool, sauna, hot tub for the low, low price of $50 million. Kenyon College. Now, okay, I'm going to be partial to this one. I'm a big guy for those, <laughs> those who don't know me. All the food you can eat and take home. Snacks. Yeah. At Boston University. They created a 26-story residence hall with private bathrooms, walk-in closets, lounges with flat-screen TVs, soundproof music rehearsal spaces, and washers and dryers that alert students via computer when available. Okay. I've heard about, I've heard about the Boston dorms from people. There's something to be said, though, for sitting in the laundry room in your residence hall and watching your clothes go around write and around and around. It's a rite of passage. Yeah, right. And at Western Kentucky, where I was at, the uh, the ping pong table was right outside the laundry room. Play some ping pong while you're waiting for. Uh, That's how you get good. I mean, yeah, that was an amenity in our day. I mean, right, and even our ping pong table had cracks in the in the edges, so you had to learn how to play on that table. Right, you know. <laughs> and, and now we're getting texts and computer messages when our our yeah. laundry's done. God, I was good at ping pong in yeah. college. Yeah, semi pro, I'm sure. Yeah, University of Michigan library napping stations. <laughs> I got nothing to say. <laughs> All right. MIT has a meditation room that is actually a giant ball pit. So it's like something out of Chuck E. Cheese or whatever, but for college students. Um, Texas State University. I can't even imagine how this much. This is the best one. A golf simulator with 41 different PGA courses that students can play on. That's great. I got a friend at Texas State. Good old Scott Ham is at Texas State. Uh, Maybe I'll go down for a fly-in next year and do some golfing. Do some golfing. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what college is about. And then finally, Oberlin College, a world-class art museum that allows students to rent out artwork to hang up in their dorm rooms. That's awesome. I mean, you know, I'm feeling Picasso this week. I think I'll just go go pick it up. I mean, and, and the list goes on and on. So keep in mind, this is in no way comprehensive, comprehensive uh, 10 minutes of Google search. And that probably counts the time, like... You're typing. Right. Yeah. So with that in mind, here's the first question. Uh, what, what types of schools need to compete in order to draw in more students? We can't just, I mean, I want to just make fun of this, but we can't just make fun of it because schools are competing with each other. They're, they're competing to get students. This is a business in so many ways. And you don't get students, you don't get tuition, you don't get tuition, you don't have a school. So, you know, there, there are several articles that indicate that schools with less rigorous standards academically uh, and students less qualified academically tend to gravitate toward having more amenities to enhance their college experience. So basically the idea is if you're an Ivy League school or a highly selective institution, your academics are going to sell the university. So you don't need a lot of frills to draw in students. It's, it's the academics, the research opportunities, that sort of stuff. Sure. But if you're just average you, you need something to draw students in to make them want to attend your university? You know, maybe. I, I think 
I think one part with those with, with the IVs and the schools with with big endowments, the one thing that's not talked about as much is the fact that they have those endowments that can help students leave without debt. Uh, you've got a lot of schools who you know, have commitments to families that might make. I'm making up a number here, but but might if a family makes under a year, uh, is a family will not leave with debt or, or some schools have the resources to you know anyone who is is Pell Grant eligible will not leave with debt and those those also not just because of college rankings but those also tend to be schools that they kind of sell themselves mm-hmm. because of because of the the finance piece right but let's fine let's say let's say we are slightly above average you and we hang our hat on academics. You know, we've got resources in the Career Center. We pay to obtain and keep great professors. We've got awesome research opportunities. So this is a scenario that I'm creating. Uh, our dorms aren't as nice. Uh, the workout facility's fine. Plenty of good food choices, but nothing fancy. So that's, that's our school. In our area, I'm actually kind of thinking Mount St. Joe's. Okay. They put a lot of money into academics. The, the, the academics, they put a lot of money into their faculty. I've seen articles where they, they put the highest per, higher, a higher percentage than any other school around us mm-hmm. into their professors. Will students come? Does, does a college need wow features to rise above the competition? Is that school going to survive, the one I created right there? I don't know. I, I think there are a couple of things we've got we've to think about. One, when you go on a college tour... They can't always show students research. They can't always have one-on-ones with professors. A lot of schools can have you sit in on a class yeah, that kind of yeah. thing. But those don't, those don't show well. But what does show well on a college tour are those amenities. Where am I going to live? Where am I going to eat? What can I do for fun? All of that kind of stuff. But I think part of the problem with that is you've got 17- and 18-year-olds who don't have any experience in paying off large sums of debt. So right. yeah, yeah, they would. And if you don't have parents that are helping them realize what that tuition bill is going toward, then I think colleges pull in students with those amenities. And I'm not saying that that they shouldn't have some nice things, but but there's an arms race. That's the point of right. the episode. There's 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 an arms race. There's a there's a, there's a competition <laughs> among schools. To, to keep having the, the newest, nicest To outdo features, the other school. To outdo the other right. school. Um, and, and building maintenance, some buildings don't end up on the tour. There's a reason for that. Money on maintenance is not as noticeable as money on new buildings and features. Yeah, that was a good point. We had talked about that, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a really good point. You, you, can let, you can let some buildings go and create flashy new ones. While at the same time, you know everything looks nice, but you, but but, but your but your students who are actually going to school, taking classes, it's accustomed to a lifestyle they can't afford. Yeah. Well, and, and I think so. I graduated at 21, um, and moved um, to the greater Cincinnati area, northern Kentucky area. And do you know where I lived for the first six months on my own? Where? With my brother and sister-in-law until I could save up enough money to get out on my own. And so when I went to a school that was was a great school, but I didn't have debt, I didn't have all of these expectations, 
I mean, I, I don't want to be one of those like older people who are like, you know, kids. Get off these, my lawn. Kids, yeah, <laughs> you, know, you can't have your ball back. Right. Kids these days, that sort of thing. I, but, I, but I do I do think that they are accustomed to a different lifestyle. And it only gets exacerbated by, by the college lifestyle. You know, I lived in a dorm uh, years, year two of college. I lived at home the first year to save mm-hmm. money and commuted. Lived in a dorm the second year and shared uh, you know, six, six roommates or, well, including me, six of us lived in a place uh, junior, senior year. And, it, you know, I, my first my first few months as a teacher, I lived uh, with my aunt until I found uh, a room in my principal's house. He had recently gotten a divorce. He had a home for wayward boys. So <laughs> another teacher and I, like, just rented out a room from him. But you said these high expectations and these amenities, they don't understand how much debt they're potentially accruing and now they get out and it's either I maintain that level that I've experienced. So now the debt continues. But what's a college do? What do they do? Our kids, our, our kids at Beachwood, they're picking UK because the dorms have granite countertops, tempur mattresses. They're fantastic. So the families are paying the extra couple thousand. Right. So UK's winning, right? They're winning. It's, they've proven to themselves that that investment is worth it for them. It, it just seems like there's been a shift, and and I, I saw it with my kids where they were looking for suite style residence halls, right? And that was good enough. Like I don't want to share a bathroom with twenty other people, um, right? You know, but now it's like the line has been crossed from just suite style whatever to now I've got to have the the granite countertops and the you know, the, all the fancy amenities. And, and I wish, I don't know how you stop it because it's kind of like a snowball. Sure. Know? But I wish we could, I wish colleges could figure out a way to maybe back off a little bit. Right. And we'll, we'll, we'll address that in a second with our, uh, with, with our next, our next spot. But I, one more point for me, the, the, the biggest irony is that these kids will be less likely to afford amenities as their student loan bills approach house payments. Mm-hmm. So not only do you become accustomed, but you've paid more to have that, and then you'll be in an even worse spot when you start out on your own. So uh, your answer is, yeah, of course, of course it does. Um, I, I think I think it's easy to intellectually understand that your way of living will need to change, but I think recent graduates will feel deprived that they don't have the things they have. All right, Joel, what's the answer? We try to be reasonable (laughs) on this podcast. We know colleges probably aren't going to say, you know what, guys? We listened to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, and you're right. We'll take our campus tours through all 17 libraries. So let's look at it like we do every episode from four different lenses. Joel, lead lead us off. All right, so if you're a school counselor... I think it's important that you find out what's important in a college for your student and whether or not having a school with amenities is important. Be able to educate them on the costs accrued with having a school with these amenities. Help your students make smart decisions as a consumer because ultimately that's what they are. At the end of the day, is attending a school with amenities going to enhance your actual actual education or help you find a job after graduation? A great point. I, I, it, I feel that responsibility myself, right. and I've been using the word consumer mm-hmm. a lot with, with my kids. If you're at a university, 
Ready? Stop this cycle. How about spending money on enhancing academic programs, providing internships for students, research opportunities, increasing pay for faculty and staff, building campuses with ridiculous amenities not only does not prepare students for the real world that they will soon face, but also it makes universities seem as though they're doing this simply to draw in bigger numbers and generate more money. We think it'll work. Students will come for job placement data, high acceptance rates to professional programs. My kids will look at that for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and amazing research opportunities. I know, I know my students will pay attention to job placement data, high acceptance rates to professional programs and amazing research opportunities. Come to think of it, the amenities are kind of almost insulting to students who want a great education. It's almost like they're trying to trick the kids yeah. into coming. It's because it's consumerism. Right. And it's, 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 it's marketing, it's advertising, it's drawing people in for, for one item that, that's shiny and fancy. And the reality is, speak to the kids who, who are looking for the right things. Mm -hmm. And if you build it, they, <laughs> they will come. come. If you're a parent, and we both are, yeah, it's natural to want to provide the best for your children, for them to have better experiences than you had, and so on. But for the love of God, remember what is important. Having a great college experience is about the experience. It's not about stuff. It's about meeting people, taking classes, participating in extracurricular activities, and so on. It's not about lazy rivers and ski resorts. That's where you go on vacation when you're an adult and you have a job. Try to help your student remember that as they are searching for their college choice, look at what's important and what's going to matter at the end of the day. If you're a student, just be a great consumer. You, know, you haven't had a lot of experience with that uh, as, as a 17, 18-year-old, but be a great consumer. And I, I guess I said this a second ago, but, but don't let colleges lure you in with shiny objects. Uh, try to remember why you're attending college in the first place, to get an education. Uh, having these amenities is exciting. It's fun. It's awesome. I mean, I get excited thinking about, you know, a bubble bench, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they're going to cost you money and potentially keep your focus away from academics. Um, here's, here's a side note I've got. I, I love when I hear, or I don't love, but I'll say it this way. I love when I hear students say, we get free granola bars on campus. And there's a free bowling alley. Um, so anyway, as a consumer, it's not free. That's like saying it's free when you're in the hospital. Like, yeah. you're getting nickel and <laughs> gotta, dime for everything. Oh, look, I got free pudding. Look, Tylenol, $5 a pill. The tapioca is great, you know. You guys realize it's not actually free, right? Of course, students want a campus where they can meet people, grow as a person, and have fun. But there has to be a balance in this as much as most things. Uh, and, and the cost of having such luxuries may be too much. So students, again, be great consumers. Now for a quick break, and we will interview an amazing student. Welcome back 
to our episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Uh, it's now time for our interview segment. I'm going to go in and introduce um, our interviewee for the day, uh, just because I know her quite well. Um, our guest today is rising junior Michaela Ford. She is a student at Connor High School. She's also my daughter, lives across the hall. She likes long walks on the beach, candlelit dinners, and hopes for world peace. And if any college people are out there, daddy needs a tuition discount. So uh, feel free to look us up. So, but Michaela, thanks for coming to the podcast. Um, and I think our goal today, you know, we've talked to a couple of kids in the past who are sort of at the end of the process. Right. So let's talk a little bit today with someone who's getting into that process. Yeah, I'm really curious about it too. And my, my daughter is also a rising junior. So I've seen, uh, you're probably getting mailings. A home. lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just for, for anyone listening, where, where are you right now in your college search process? Well, I mean, like I hear a lot of um, different names and schools and I get a lot of emails and it's kind of from the same schools, but it's just like so much. Like I'll probably get at least five emails a day and it's kind of hard to like go through them all and then just kind of figuring out because there's so many colleges just within the states. How do you pick? How do you narrow it down? Where do you even start? So I know this is one thing I do know about your process. Um, your 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 take on things changed when you got your ACT score back, and we'll 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 stick with FERPA and not necessarily share the ACT score, but it's a really good score. And how did that? Where were you before, and how did that change your your opinion on things? Well, I don't know. I guess it kind of just like re- helped me realize that like there's probably a lot of different schools I could go to, and I could probably get some scholarship money and stuff and it's just kind of helped me realize that it's not my viewpoint of colleges shouldn't be so narrow and there's a lot of different schools that I could look at and so it kind of just widened my view and so now I don't really know where to even begin all right so I'm trying to I hear I hear you saying a little maybe a little overwhelmed yeah with with one all the information coming in right yeah Uh, and, and what else well, I don't know. I mean, like, it's just you hear, like, you guys were talking about all the amenities and everything, and it's just, you know, how to focus on the academics because they'll show a lot of that and, you know, lifestyle and, like, stuff like that. But it's, like, I'm more into the academics and the opportunities and then, like, past college and stuff and different colleges and what they can help me with that. And it's how do you find that information, how do you look into that, and how do you figure out what exactly is best for you? I've got so many questions. I want to back up just a little. How much do you think about college? A lot. Like, probably daily, because I see the emails coming in constantly. Okay. And you're just starting junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, just finished sophomore year. And, and, you know, your dad and I know that your biggest tasks next year probably are just doing a great job in school. Yeah. Um, yeah, your college list can grow. We, we, we wouldn't tell our own students to think about college every day mm-hmm. right now. But what you're telling us is that you, you can't help that, yeah. especially with all of the emails coming in. And, and, and just as a point of clarification, it's not, it's the, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it's any pressure that we're putting, my wife or I are putting on her at all. Definitely not. It's just, I definitely pressure myself, 
but it's just so much like the emails are always like the same and they don't necessarily provide you with a lot of information so then you just see all of these names and all these colleges and it's just like how do you sort through them i almost just picture this like this kind of fantasy type thing where all these all this mail swirling around you like physically swirling around like in a movie or something uh, like something in harry potter uh, well it's funny because maybe even a year or two ago like she rarely if ever got mail you know she wouldn't even we'd, we'd bring the mail in from outside she wouldn't even ask or even right. think that there was mailings for her and now it's like Every day, every other day, here's a postcard, here's here's a mailing. Here's... What do you do with it? I have a bag right now because, like, eventually I do want to, like, go through them and, like, figure out, like, which ones I want to look at and stuff. But I don't know how to begin, you know, should I be looking at campus styles, like, in the city, out of city, how to look for the academics. Because they don't necessarily tell you, they tell you majors, but they don't really give you a lot of information so it's like where do you even start to look for all of that so you 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 see some major type things but you don't learn about their school yeah when you see that what what are your what are your biggest factors of choosing a school like i guess what i'm saying is this school needs to have blank um i really don't know like that's the thing like i guess like i've been exposed to like some in school state or some in state schools but, like, I really don't know what I'm looking for. I know with wanting to go into engineering, I probably want something more co-op than research. But that's probably the only factor I really know at the moment. That counts. That's a great start. If I had students with that start, and say mm-hmm. you'd say that in your office, if we had students with that start, we could, we could rattle off. We could help you make a list of schools to think about. And then you could add schools later, maybe with some of the mailings or this or that. But that's, that's an excellent start if you already know. You know, if you're interested in math and science and engineering is a possible direction. Well, and I think, um, I, I think that's something, you know, she's right now, she's talked about biomedical engineering. And I think that's something that she's always been a STEM kid. I'm just speaking as a dad. She's always been a STEM kid. But she's really kind of stuck with biomedical for a while now. So it's not like, you know, sometimes we'll get kids who will, I want to do this, and then like a month later, oh, I want to do something completely different. Like, I think that's one advantage that she's got is she's really kind of stuck on the same path for, for a while now and been consistent with that, you know. So you heard us talking about all the amenities. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you that would attract you? And, and I mean, I, well, I'll just stop there. Is there, is there anything about a school that would attract you? Definitely, like, probably places to study that are, like, outside of my room, like, um, probably, like, some quiet places outside, inside, and, like, libraries and stuff. Um, what, the, the bubbler benches and the lazy rivers aren't doing it for you? Not really. I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to have some kind of recreational thing, but I do study a lot, so I would like some places that I can go and I can focus. That way I can kind of, like, have, like, a quiet place. Um, I don't know. I mean, the lazy Susans and stuff really, or lazy rivers really mm. just. Lazy Susans are at the place where you get to take home all yeah. your food. <laughs> right. The lazy rivers are the ones you just lay around and, yeah. and enjoy. What about outside of school, outside of classwork? Are you involved in any sports or clubs or anything like that? I do a, an assortment of things. Um, it probably would be nice to know if they had like an archery range or something just because that's been something I've been doing since I was 11 years old 
So I definitely would like to continue that. Maybe something with music. That'd be nice. So, so Michaela, I'm sitting here like thinking of schools in my head. Like what I would do if somebody were in my office, I'm like, oh man, I need to turn this off here and end this podcast and sit down and, and work with you, which you've got a pretty good counselor at home. So he can, he can help you. I think, I think probably her biggest battle has been, at least at the beginning was like, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. You know, Um, and then just trusting Trusting herself that that the process will happen, you know. Right. Well, you'll be there to slow it down for her. Right. And I tell my students that I, one of the things I'm here for is to is to slow it down for you and to simplify it for you, mm-hmm. because it doesn't have to be as overwhelming as it as it feels right now. Right. And I mean, from from the parent end, we just want the right fit and a place where she's going to grow and and be successful and be happy. Right. You know, wherever that's at. Um, our, our goal with, with, with the interview with you is to bring you back in a couple years. Like, I'd like to bring you back in almost exactly two years. And, and for myself and for listeners to, to kind of see how that's, how that's coming along. Heck, I wouldn't mind doing it at this time next year. Right. And then, and then bring you back. And I, and I know where you live. So, uh, so we can. That doesn't sound like a creeper. <laughs> well, she lives across the hall from you. She lives across the hall from me. So be easy to find. Uh, do you have any other any other thoughts? I mean, I know you know a lot of this because your daughter. But do you have any other questions, thoughts? Well, I guess one I'm curious about because at our school, uh, we let juniors and seniors come in when college reps come in and and um, visit and and promote their schools and such how important do you think those initial visits are going to be you know and for our school i'd say probably two-thirds two-thirds of our visits are in state schools sure Um, but we're getting more and more out of school or out of state schools coming in especially since we were using rep visits and have for a couple of years but but for the most part we're looking at a lot of schools within kentucky how important do you think those initial visits are going to be for you Probably pretty important because it'll give me like a basis and so then I know where to go from there what information I want to learn more about because that's the big thing is like they in those meetings they give you a lot of information so it kind of helps you figure out what things you should be looking at what makes the school different what are you looking for and so I definitely think those visits will probably be pretty important especially in junior year um senior year will probably be more of hopefully by then I have my decisions and I know what colleges I'm definitely looking at. Sure. And just as you know, the counselor in me can't help but just add one thing for you, and that is you're not deciding where to go just yet. Mm-hmm. You're deciding where to apply. Yeah. And that's a lot less pressure when you when you think of it that way. Yep. Most definitely. You're awesome. Can't wait to can't wait to, to talk to you again next must, year. Must take after her mom. I, I, well, I didn't want to say it, but I was thinking it. Uh, let's take a quick break, come back with, with our words of wisdom, and we'll talk about our next episode. Sounds good. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Appropriate for this episode, this week's word of wisdom revolves around college finance. Decrease debt. I know, easy to say, decrease debt. 
as, as I personally move closer and closer to retirement, I realize the things I can do in life have nothing to do really with what I make or what those things cost. It has to do with how much debt I have. America is bogged down with it. What? Yeah. Who knew? Decrease debt and increase your quality of life for a lifetime. I'll say it one final time. Decrease debt. All right, listeners. Next episode. Oh, yeah. Get ready for a battle. Bigger than North Carolina Duke. Bigger than Ohio State Michigan. Go Bucks. Bigger than Texas Oklahoma. Bigger than Alabama Auburn or Kentucky Louisville. Bigger than Western Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky. Bigger than the Egg Bowl. Do you know what that is? I forget. That's Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Bigger than the Civil War. You know what that is? Is that Texas A&M? No. Oregon, Oregon State. That's right. Bigger than the world's largest cocktail party. Texas A&M. No, the answer is not Texas A&M. Florida, Georgia. It's the great liberal arts debate. Reeves versus Ford. Ford versus Reeves next time. Thanks for tuning in. You're going to find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating. And we hope to see you next time on Get Schooled by Reason Ford. Bye, everyone. I'm going to go in and inter- introduce. Let's try again. Never mess up. I know. Come on. It's too much pressure. And I, and I know where you live. So, uh, so we can. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a creeper.